0: Welcome everyone to the Cyber Monday monthly e-commerce newscast by First Mover. This is our first ever Cyber Monday, but to be fair, every Monday is Cyber Monday. In fact, every day is Cyber Monday and today's new e-commerce and omnichannel marketplace reality. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're really excited to kick off this new series to support you and keep your digital IQ at its finest for all that hard work you're doing to lead change in the marketplace. For any of you who don't know who we are because we know we have a lot of people joining for the first time as well as a lot of our first mover community members who've joined us at our past events we are first mover we are an e-commerce empowerment community fueled by that very community of practice we bring this to life through industry events and series like the one you're on today but also on a lot of our other events and we'll talk to those um, later on focused on key retailer strategies Um, as well as advanced e-commerce and omni-channel strategies. And we've also increased our custom program capabilities as well, knowing that a lot of your organizations need more than just you being informed with the latest uh, and greatest strategies, but also all of them need the knowledge to win and to kind of go over that, that change adoption curve. And so um, we, we try to provide all of these best in class, best practices for executive education to help everyone lead change in the marketplace. Um, this is not about us, but we are fe- two fellow first movers. Uh, my name is Chris Perry. I'm the chief learning officer and co founder, and a fellow first mover in the trenches uh, from my past across Reckitt, uh, Well Pet Natural Pet Food, and Kellogg's, having led e commerce across all three organizations and then had the, the immense honor and privilege of leading executive education at Edge by Essential. Um, I'm also joined by my uh, co-founder and partner in crime, Oscar Kaszewski.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome. I'm Oscar Kaszewski. I'm the chief growth officer and co-founder. My background is Kellogg, Mondeley, Skimbali, Clark, all very passionate about e-commerce and education. I'm glad you're here.
0: And as we've Shared, and, and I openly say this is an eye chart on purpose to overwhelm you, um, but but ult- ultimately we have lots of different types of events, all virtual in, in, in the sh- in the near term, as COVID is still a reality in our workplace, um, but we have events focused on all areas um, of, of critical need in this space. Um, we've launched uh, retailer-specific events across U.S., North America, as well as some European events uh, launching in the latter half of the year. We also have our advanced retail strategy events like our IQBR series uh, focused on rotating topics. So we've got metrics that matter um, in May, um, as well as supply chain capabilities in the fall and social commerce in the winter, um, as well as our category specific events. We've launched our CADEX uh, events having come off of a pet-focused event in December with really positive feedback from the community. So we've got one on the Bev Alk category in June, um, as well as health and beauty in the fall, and, and and then anniversary in our pet focus in December. And then we added this news series, uh, and we'll get into that um, shortly, because there's just so much going on every single day. Even Oscar and myself can be overwhelmed, trying to stay up on everything. And obviously not everything is worth staying up on, right? Some things are validations of what you already knew or heard before, Uh, some is fluff, and some really matters. And so just like we wanna know what metrics matter, we wanna know what news matters as well, but also the so what, the now what, how it really plays into this broader story of change. And so we launched this news series called Cyber Monday to pay tribute to one of our favorite holidays, um but really to to start trying to hone the storyline of all those headlines coming together. And by all means, I'm sure there's something happening right now that we're missing, but we'll we promise we'll capture it on our next uh, Cyber Monday next month. Um, but kicking off in April, but we've got one every month, um generally in the mid the, the second week of the month, but we've also ch- kind of uh, changed that around holidays and other events that we've got on the calendar. so um, looking forward to having you join us today or whether you're live or on demand and joining us in the future. And feel free to share the Cyber Monday series with anyone you know that would benefit from it because it is free. Um, so we would love to have you join us at any time. Now, getting into the news today, and I wanted to share a little bit of an upfront because I think this will help set the tone for how we're framing the news going forward. We'll keep this shorter in, in, in future um, sessions, but... As, as you can imagine, as you see every day, I open LinkedIn, I scroll a few times, and I'm immediately droned out by how many important yet almost overwhelming headlines that there are. And these are just some of the many from the past year. But it is crazy to keep up with it all. And there are some first movers out there who are doing a better job of keeping up uh, on it than even we are at times. And so we salute you for being able to, to stay on top of it. But The problem with headlines is that, A, they're just headlines, right? They're the trees and not always the forest. They don't always tell you the broader story and they don't always share the implications outside of potentially the so what of that specific headline. And so we feel it's really important that we kind of frame things, at least from our brand leadership and practitioner perspective, for how it's really impacting retail and brand manufacturers alike. And so we know e commerce is growing. Um, and, and that keeps being validated by, by all the headlines. But what has kind of become true, truer than ever before in the last year, is something that that we share out in our in some of our custom programs and presentations, but something that's a little bit provocative, but probably won't shock you. It's the fact that winning offline, which is still the majority of sales and still will be the majority of sales by 2025 in our near-term forecast, winning offline actually requires winning online first. Now, when I say that, I almost get an immediate virtual slap from like half the audience because what do you mean? You said that, you know, only 20 to 30% of sales are going to be online. How could there possibly be a, a world where online dictates offline? But it's not about dictating, it's about influencing. And we've kind of realized that almost every headline and every major story fits into three buckets that kind of spin a news flywheel or a news cycle, if you will. And so it probably shouldn't surprise us, obviously, that we start with the fact that the change is digital, right? Everything is shifting to digital and digital's uh, growth and and influence is is a driving force here. Now we've all seen the growth charts. We know e-commerce as a as a sales channel, quote unquote, as much as I hate saying that, is going to drive and was driving over half of all the sales added in retail before COVID, after COVID, and for the foreseeable future. But what's more important um, is is the influence sales, because it's not just how what what minority percent is actually happening through e-commerce or omni-channel models. It's the influence sales that's also being driven by leadership in e-commerce. And I thought it kind of interesting, if if you take several different stats across Forrester, Edge by Essential, and, and several others, and, and then we add kind of our own, probably less scientific, but logical, mathematic application to it. If over half of all sales to be added by 2025 are going to be in e-commerce over 90 percent of all sales to be added will be in e-com or influenced by e-commerce and i think that's that's the power here um is is it's not just the large percent at the end state it's how much is being influenced and is added because we're all in invested growth mode and if this is an invested growth i don't know what it is so um, obviously there's a lot behind these numbers and obviously these assumptions and arguably we may be assuming conservatively, not knowing exactly how COVID will spike everything since we logged uh, the market forward about three to four years with COVID's impact. But digital is clearly driving. But as digital is driving, the shelf is shrinking. And I say that a little bit dramatically, but our omnichannel shopper is continuously seen as she or he, shops across the different modes and devices available to her or him is increasingly seeing a smaller shelf set even though technically as we go online we're getting that endless virtual aisle we actually see less because search by 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 nature and by ambition wants to give you an answer and not a search result and so it's you know we're all very familiar with that physical shelf and as we go to desktop and then to mobile and even to Alexa and, and mobile you know, and voice activated shopping, we're getting a world where we get more sing- singular suggestions and we are actually getting a full planogram of options. So the shopper is seeing less even though we have access to more. But as we engage that digital shelf, we actually have a, a shrinking organic shelf. And we all know this really well as we're realizing how much more budget we need to apply to our retailer paid search and advertising and merchandising um, investments. But it's pretty stark when you actually look at both Walmart and Amazon, how little at any given time in a given category is actually organic placement, right? So we have to win organically and we know shoppers engage, but increasingly those paid placements look organic and sit where organic used to be. So there is a pay to play and then an ultimate pay to earn because part of paid search even is is based on an ad or relevance score, right? So the more relevant you are by how many people are really searching and clicking on you, the less actually you have to pay over time in your paid search activity. But this organic shrinking is happening too. And most importantly, that physical shelf that's still that majority of sales in 2025 is shrinking, right? Our big box retailers are constantly looking for new ways to fit into smaller footprints to be closer to urban areas, uh, shrinking their own footprints to be more convenient. They're using their space in new and different ways. We're going to talk to some of that news, um, whether they're turning their stores to fulfill out of store um, or supply curbside or delivery. Um, We've got more experiential merchandising and um, display happening in store, ultimately shrinking something else at its expense We've got new services like Walmart getting into healthcare. care, um, you know, Target really expanding food and fresh. And then ultimately spacing was always important as a shopper, but now spacing isn't just because I like having my personal space. It's because of safety and health, right? Because of social distancing. So we've got the shelf is shrinking being driven by the digital shift. And then at the same time that real estate is getting smaller, we've got more competition than ever, right? So we've got, multiple i mean this is if you've seen lord of the rings it's the battle of the five armies on steroids right every battlefront has new players but not just not just those new players new prowess of those new players right so we've got our traditional national brand competitors and then the the distant challengers within those that we used to not care about who are using e-commerce to usurp the shelf we've got expanded you know evolution of store label a private brand, right? These look like real brands because they are real brands. They just happen to be owned by the the retailer. We've got exclusive brands being launched in a big way or or digital brands going exclusive. We've got those digital brands, whether they're D2C or digitally native brands launching on retail platforms. We've got our third party sellers in our marketplaces. And then even if we, we as brands may not be competing with every platform launching New platforms disrupt how our products are found amidst others. You know, so when an Instacart comes into play, just because you were winning on Walmart or Kroger doesn't mean you're winning on Instacart, right? So you've got to be in both, and you got to be winning on both. The retailers are shifting their priorities from a kind of more of that singular retail merchandise to many other areas of need, new capabilities, um, ecosystem expansion, which is really important. So what used to be important. In our categories, maybe a little bit less, as the retailer has to do a lot more. And then ultimately, digital shelf dynamics. Like we said, the shelf is shrinking, so all that competition—if they get ahead of you, they have that first mover advantage. All puns intended. And I love this stat from IRI. Um, these stats from IRI that they update frequently. Just because you lead in store in brick and mortar doesn't make you a winner online. We know that's obvious. That sounds so obvious, but seeing it is believing it, right? So. Um, per IRI stats only 1 out of the 14 top in-store category leaders in CPG had greater share on Amazon than in brick and mortar and that story was only a little bit better at Walmart where 5 out of the 14 had greater share on walmart.com versus in store and that's partly because Amazon is a more advanced marketplace with a lot lower barrier to entry for other sellers and brands to get on but as Walmart expands their marketplace, that may become a reality too. So incumbency does not translate online all the time. But then we get back, so we get back to the the digital is driving again, right? Which becomes this repeating flywheel story. And this is the key. We said the physical shelf may not influence the digital shelf, but the digital shelf definitely influences the physical shelf. And it's not just that leading online where shoppers are influences the shopper. It's that leading online influences the retail buyer teams we work with. So Walmart did something pretty big last year. They combined their product buying teams, and that's old news now. But by combining the buying teams, their KPIs aligned. And instead of stores conflicting with with online, one preserving and one trying to grow at all costs, they now can grow together and do what's needed to to be done with the store and online to grow together. Target was already there. They already had that alignment. And what have they already been doing because they're already aligned? A lot of pretty unique things, right? Beyond retail alone, but pivoting the stores, bringing and differentiating their assortment. And how are they doing that? They're bringing in digitally native brands, small but mighty brands growing online who can go exclusive for a while or for for a near term, In store, so that they can tap into that differentiation, into that growth, into that set of shoppers, and they keep doing it over and over again. I mean, they've got got tens of these, and and so a lot of retailers are looking at that and taking pages from that playbook. But if we look across the Pacific Pond, we don't have to be China to see where the world's going. Because a few years ago, it wasn't even about human buyers making decisions; it was the data prescribed to the human merchants what to bring into the physical store based on what was selling online in their zip code. So we may not be quite there where humans have been displaced completely by algorithms, but algorithms can continue to tell a better story and tell a give us a better suggestion for what works in an environment. And increasingly we'll have more of an influence about what's brought onto that physical shelf. So there's so much more here, but we feel that most of these stories And we kind of tried to sum up buckets that would capture most of the headlines as we talk to them today. Most of the headlines fit into one of these stories. And we're not trying to force fit them. We actually like gut checked this and disrupted our own model. But ultimately, the story will change and will change how we bucket the stories. But as you look at news, you might filter it through one of these driving forces because that's probably part of the story yeah, e-comm is growing and things are changing as a result, but how are they changing? Where does this fit in? And if this helps you articulate the change internally, that's really the goal. It's not just that you know this, it's that you can tell the right people who need to enable change in your organizations. And so as we go through, you're going to see this framework um, just because we, we we feel it's important to organize, right? Otherwise, it's just a plethora of RSS feed headlines that overwhelm us every day. And we can filter down to the ones that matter and fit them here. Um, so again, that's just our upfront. We won't repeat that every single time. We'll just remind you of the framework so we're not coming across totally nutty. Um, think a beautiful mind with thumbtacks and yarn on a, on a wall. Um, we promise there's some meaning to our madness, um, but we're really excited to engage you today. So Oscar, h- how do you want how do you want people to participate today?
1: Well, we definitely want them to ask questions and any comments, but if you can actually include your name, um, so we know who you are, you know, who is asking the question, because, you know, sometimes your um, are where you from and, you know, what ca- category you're working on, it matters, right? Because it gives that specific perspective that you bring into the table. So, you know, usually we're okay with asking like anonymous comments or questions, but, you know, if you for this time can actually put your name would be great. Just go to Slido.
0: Yeah, Slido.com. You don't have to download anything. It could be a dual screen experience. Um, type in cyber. You'll see nothing at the moment because... Theoretically, no one submitted any questions or commentary, and arguably it can be a perspective or, or just a comment to support one of the stories you, that, that you see, because um, again, you may know more than, than we do being on, in the trenches in your, in your specific industry or category. Um, obviously, keep them appropriate and or upvote others' questions or comments. And by all means, if we don't know the answer to your question or don't have a perspective on it, we'll find one for you, because again, we're all better together in a community of practice. So um. Thank you for being a part of today's session. Um, so we're going to kick off the news. And again, you may have seen some of these, but you might now think of them in a different way as they come together. So almost every day, something at Amazon happens, right? And we're not we're not um, a stranger to Amazon expanding further into brick and mortar, especially within the grocery space. But Amazon has officially announced plans to jump to the East Coast where they had ambition to go anyway, to launch four more physical grocery stores, two in DC, one in Maryland, and one in Philadelphia. Um, right now they have 11 US fresh stores, grocery stores under the Amazon banner, and one smaller version in the UK, so they've already jumped the pond. And this next four will be become four more on this number, um, they've already got 28 additional locations kind of in the works, but obviously are announcing them in a rolling fashion. And it has been said, as as you know, Amazon's always accustomed to do, throws out big numbers, but they've got thousands plus of stores in the coming years. So we know from the Amazon Go story that you could technically have thousands of stores without it actually being Amazon, if you just sell your technology to other stores who use it. But I think with when it comes to Amazon Fresh, we're going to see them expanding quite rapidly and be a pretty sizable force on top of their Whole Foods uh, brick-and-mortar footprint. Any comments, uh, Oscar?
1: Uh, my question for you is why. Um, here's the reason. Because remember, I have this bet that Amazon in the future is going to be only 3P and private label brands. So why they would bother with expanding with 1,000 stores right versus, for example, acquiring somebody else. I mean, we know part of the motivation is that they want to actually bring the brands that are not currently at Whole Foods, you know, any mainstream brands like, you know, PepsiCo, Kellogg, you know, where products don't fit the Whole Foods, Whole Foods, uh, Whole Foods clientele. But why, why do you think actually they want to keep on expanding this? It's such a hassle for them. They are a technology company.
0: So that's a great question. This is my humble opinion. But one, keep everyone on their toes two, prove out the technology you white label to everyone else. Um, three, you just said it very, very important. If you go to private brands, maybe a very select set of first party brands you sell and all three P who's to say you can't replicate that in physical store. I'm not trying to say it's easy, but why couldn't some of the products you had on store beyond consignment, just the way that FBA, the three P FBA model is just product sitting in someone's warehouse? Why couldn't it be on a physical shelf facing the consumer? And when bought, yes, carefully managed for expiration and perishability, right? But when bought is then paid to the, to the, to the brand or the the seller who owns it. So there could be a lot of implications here um, in addition to just constantly disrupting and, and flexing its muscles because we know it disrupted this category, but it wasn't everywhere. So like you know it was kind of a, I don't want to say it's the boy who cried wolf, but the, the wolf felt real, but the wolf wasn't everywhere. But if, if they got thousands of stores, they can be almost everywhere. And then a lot of different implications can come from that. So I think there's a, a number of reasons. I, I imagine the Amazon fresh brand will continue to expand. What about What about Prime Day, Oscar? What did you hear?
1: Um, yeah, so there is a lot of rumors currently that there could be not only one prime day but two prime days, right? One of them could be actually move up to June and then you know potentially it could be a second one in October. um the key for here is what other retailers will do? Are they gonna traditionally try to do the same thing and hold their own events? so suddenly we're gonna have four, five, six, seven events throughout the year, right? Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all of the different prime days. And then if Target and Walmart will b- build their own c- uh, cat- categories or category events. Uh, but for me, the, the question here, it's really in terms of it, how are we going to actually promote those massive new categories on retailer sites, right? We actually don't have events the same way as we have in China, where, for example, you know, uh, you know, let's say February could be a food and bath month, right? Or January could be, a you know, beauty or health and wellness. You know, it really, really depends on the retailer. So how do you think we're going to actually get out of this, you know, multiple events, which might actually lose their effectiveness? And how can we actually shift more into promoting specific categories? Because you have a lot of categories coming online, like, for example, beer, beer and alcohol.
0: Uh, you know, it's it's it, it interesting. I, I do think because there was arguably a lack of major retail events outside of the traditional seasons and a few very select, and I'd say slightly smaller um, cause or charity type events at different retailers in the U.S. in the past, because obviously China was already ahead on these mega, you know, singles day, um, you know, and, and 618 shopping festivals um, uh, across the Pacific pond. But I think the key is going to be at first, there'll be kind of a proliferation of days, and then there'll, there'll be an opportunity to band together. Uh, CoreSite Research, I know, partnered with several retailers to create kind of a ten ten, you know, October 10th shopping festival last year, which was its first kind of inaugural year, but was kind of an interesting concept because it actually shot right before uh, Prime Day that got moved to the 13th and 14th of October last year. And I thought obviously, you know, time the, the first the first time is always gonna be early humble beginnings, but if multiple retailers partnered together to make spring cleaning or Memorial Day or Labor Day or all of these sales weekends or you know that are beyond you know the cyber holidays a little bit bigger together, maybe under a unified call to action or banner. And I know that's hard to, to coordinate, but I thought it was really cool that CoreSight Research kind of helped pull that together. I think they're going to you kind of get out of this need for 80 different retail events and there'll be fewer, bigger, better where lots of partners can, you know, can collaborate, maybe even through one event platform to do all of their shopping for those specific categories and, you know, at a specific time. But I think there's a lot to be said for retail event innovation, I guess. Um, When we think of shopper engagement, you know, obviously we think. You know rewards programs uh, among uh, obviously lots of different levers, but we think a lot a lot of these rewards and loyalty programs, membership programs at Club and Amazon Prime, and so um, on the right side, um, it shouldn't surprise us that one of the behemoth programs, uh, Prime, uh, you know, our, our our favorite Prime, um, according to Jeff Bezos in his his last annual shareholder letter as he shifts into his uh, new role um, as as Less active CEO of of Amazon, he confirmed that Amazon Prime now has two hundred million mem- members, meaning that it had jumped fifty million in a year. And that probably shouldn't surprise us, with COVID and Amazon becoming such a lifeline. The Prime membership almost is like our life bundle, right? I mean, it, it's really become, um, you know, it's it's like my triple play with Wi Fi, TV. Um, you know, and phone, but now I've got my Prime as kind of my second one, right? So um, it shouldn't surprise us that Prime has grown incredibly fast as they've added perks and were a critical uh, supplier of of product needs over the last year. Um, But that really has spurred a lot of other programs, Uh, We, we, you know, Walmart Plus being one, um, a lot of other programs really, you know, Target Circle and a lot of the club retailers kind of ramping up their perks and, and benefits. But uh, Best Buy actually just uh, announced a beta program called Beta um, that they're piloting a $200 a year membership program that has exclusive member pricing, um, obviously shipping um, you know, waived, uh, you know, fast shipping uh, fees, unlimited tech support from Geek Squad, up to two years of purchase protection that normally would be add-on to your purchases a free installation on many appliances and products and, and many more. And, and so when I first heard this without reading all the perks, I thought, oh, wow, that's going to be a tough sell. Um, I could see this being really valuable. I mean, honestly, when you think some of those protection policies almost feel like $200 a year um, or $200 add-on for some of the bigger bigger purchases. So to think of all those perks coming in one, yes, they're going to have to really push this, sell this, promote this. But I think the the value... Um, is quite inherent. And having been a shopper of Best Buy multiple times for laptops and other things, they really do a pretty solid omni-channel experience. Um, And so I I think knowing that they've diversified in many ways and now are bringing this under one program, I could see this. It might start small, noting this pilot program, but I'm excited to see where this goes because I think this it even if some of it fails and some of it gets optimized, it's kind of laying a, another playbook for how other retailers can really build out their ecosystem and offer different values to the shopper for a fee and for that loyalty exchange. So, uh, any thoughts, Oscar?
1: Yeah, I mean, a few things. Number one is you have to realize that the adult population in the United States is about 209 million, right? So that 2 million members, including fifty million in one year, a lot of it has to be coming from overseas. Oh, uh, we, sure. we know for sure um, Amazon launching few markets. You know, it actually launched in Poland, which is my um, home country, uh, before I came to the United States, which, you know, was a massive milestone, uh, um, you know, for Poland. Um the other thing is, from a Best Buy's perspective, I still think that 200 year um, per year is it's a little bit steep because you know Prime includes also content, which you know a lot of people look at this. Um, you know the two year purchase protection that's really not that great. Free installation, mm, I don't know if it's if it's really worth it. But I'm curious how they're going to work out the economics of this unlimited tech support because that can very quickly add up. Right, and I'm also curious how things will be matched pricing wise. So, we see Amazon now matching entire carts for category events. Um, you know, when it comes into, for example, other retailers. So, is is Amazon going to factor in some of the pricing that's going to be part of that program? That's going to be super interesting.
0: Well, exactly, and and that that comes in. We we know Amazon matches down to the per ounce or unit or sell you know individual selling unit in club even though technically club offers the member value if you're signed into your account so um to your point nothing is truly immune or invisible to the eye of mordor um and so you know but but i I think it's exciting to see retailers really pulling all of the different values they have together into programs Um, we building on that in, in kind of different different ways um small but but also large news you know um, everyone is trying to ramp up their capabilities and, even in small ways, differentiate what their rewards programs can do and how to keep shoppers you know, across the spectrum engaged. And so, Walmart, uh, I mean, so Walgreens just launched a new digital uh, donation feature. It may seem like a small thing within their site and app, but allowing people to donate uh, their, their Walgreens cash rewards, not just to their own purchases and savings, but to local nonprofits. Um, I think this is really interesting. A, it's a great way if they want to align with you know Walgreens specific charities and causes. But also, if they actually can take this to the next level, kind of like Amazon Smile uh, does, where it lets you pick your local, um, your your individual uh, you know charities. I think that could be even more powerful, right? Because it's yeah, it's great to give to charity, but it's also great when you know it's impacting something you really care about, right? Because charity starts at home in the sense that it starts with what, what impacts us. And so I think that's kind of cool to see them doing I think cause marketing and cause engagement is grossly under leveraged by brands and retailers. Even though there's lots of examples, I think it could be way more leveraged, not, not just superficially to get people engaged as shoppers, but to really do, do good while doing well. Right. And so that that's one that's really interesting. And then um, Instacart has has struck a deal with J.P. Morgan Chase to issue a credit card um, opportunity to shoppers. And DoorDash is in the in the process of doing that. They they're kind of RFPing, if you will, different uh, financial institutions. But knowing how frequently my household is engaging in the DoorDashes and GrubHubs of the world, it it shouldn't surprise us that these players are looking to engage their shoppers uh, with a way to pay and get additional perks for the frequency that they shop um, those platforms, knowing that obviously for an Instacart and or food service delivery partners, you're spending a decent share of your wallet on food um, prepared and grocery. And this this is exciting obviously for these players. My one call out for the, the retail community is what happens if I if I'm given more incentive to shop more frequently on the delivery platform, who am I most loyal to? Am I loyal to an Instacart? or the retailer I chose to shop on Instacart, right? And that was inherently a challenge for retailers to begin with um, because the shopper is engaging the platform Instacart or, you know, shipped or whatnot, not necessarily the retailer of choice. So if that retailer of choice disappeared, the question is, would you switch off of the platform or would and chase the retailer? Would you stay on and choose a new retailer? And so I, I think that's just going to be a something to consider, right? It's not something to scare anybody. It's just a reality that has to be thought through as retailers are looking at capabilities. But um, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, these retail, these retail players, they're not retailers, but retail players um, looking into uh, engagement and program capabilities to keep their shoppers, uh, you know, more loyal and and more frequent.
1: So, so there are, yes, Go for it. Yeah. So there are two comments on Slido, which I think are important. So Todd from Simple Mill said, ironically that Best Buy provide tech support for my Alexa devices or Fire TV if needed. You know in this program so that's that's you know that is kind of funny and then um Amo- and he mentioned that amazon is looking to provide furniture assembly which we actually heard that yesterday which is a uh, fantastic ad but then uh, there is an anonymous question it seems that every retailer has some sort of a loyalty program what do you think are key benefits to offer to customers you know seen from those that are winning um so chris what do you think and i'll maybe you pick two and now maybe i'll two
0: no, no. I, well, so, so Oscar, you brought up a good point about the unlimited tech support. Obviously, you know, maybe unlimited has an asterisk to a certain degree, or, or it's kind of like insurance, right? Where some people need nothing and some people need everything, right? But um, I do think the the service angle is a really interesting one. Not every retailer has services to offer, but when you think if, if Walmart Plus could offer and, and will likely offer significant health program benefits as it rolls out health centers, primary care health centers. I mean, that starts becoming pretty meaningful. Um, and, and, and so I think the service angle is, is an important one. Um, I, I also think, while I haven't seen a lot of retailers do this yet, I, I think in the future, exclusive experiences are going to be really important, but they got to be like meaningful ones. So I say this in the sense of we're in a world where you and I can have anything we want, essentially anytime we want it within same-day delivery, right? So now it's not about what we have, it's not about haves and have nots. It's about do's and done's and haven't dones, right? And so I think getting an opportunity to go to a concert or see an experience or you know, exclusive pre-order perks or whatever, I think may have a little bit more of an edge is one of many table stake perks. For some of these programs and then, then some of the other things that are thrown out is like the laundry list, but that may not be as meaningful. What do you think?
1: Yeah, and I will just very quickly because we got to move through a lot of those news. So I think number one is there is an issue right now with shortage of a lot of product, right? And even if you are like 15 or 20 year, old, uh, 20 year long um, Amazon customer, you still got to stay in line. So some kind of a pre-order mechanism where you can actually get the latest gadget, like, you know, think about it as PlayStation 5 was out of stock. Um, you had the same situation with a- Xbox, you know, Nike shoes, Adidas shoes. Um, that could be an interesting way to actually perk up some of those programs to help people to procure. Because right now everything gets basically bought out by bots. The other thing is, very quickly, I think sustainability is a massive issue, right? If you buy a product that breaks apart after, let's say, a year or two, you don't have that extended warranty, uh, why there is not an easy way to get upgraded or get the product fixed, and maybe once the product gets fixed, get donated to somebody that needs it. I think we got to get better as a society on that cycle that we are just not producing new product, that we are able to actually use product that we purchase for much longer. So I would like to see... Uh, embracement of that uh, fix-it community and, you know, help to actually also get some of that product in the people that need it. Agreed. So, yeah,
0: it, you saw this one. I thought you'd, you'd like to kick this one off. Oh, this is
1: my favorite one. Is So what we heard is that Perpetual Labs has been acquired by Essential um, as part of their digital, you know, uh, commerce segment. But what's interesting about Perpetual is they are playing within the media app segment and their ads... Um, A little bit more visual, a little bit more, uh, you know, video centric, as well as they have a very huge footprint on the third party seller, um, seller ads. Um, Here, what's incredible is this, that, you know, the purchase price was one hundred sixty two million. The cash price was fifty two. So basically Perpetua over the next two, three years has to list uh, has to hit specific targets in order to get to that price one hundred sixty two. But you have to look at it from another angle. Their sales last year were only 3.8 million dollars. So we are talking about, you know, and I calculated about f- 13.6 times x of their sales, which is a massive, ev- you know, valuation and you know, massive uh, price that um, Essential actually paid for it. So I think you know, a few things happened. You know, there were some rumors within the space that probably there was second, you know, p- potential buyer, third potential buyer, so they- there could have been a little bit of a bidding war. But I also, a lot of people are realizing with an investment community that the retailer media is really powerful. And that's what we actually have to pay attention to.
0: No, that's great. And, and actually under this performance measurement filter, I did want to, there was another question. What is the best method to determine e-commerce channel market share products and categories we do business in? So um, this is the great opportunity, right? This is not total wild west, but it's obviously you know, there, there's some marshals out on the west trying to hone in the law here. But, um, honestly, there's a lot of different partners out there that can help with aspects of of, of e commerce market share. IRI has their e, EMI uh, panel, um, which can give you some, some level of, of view across the market. Um, obviously, you can piece together what some of the retailer data will give you. Again, it's kind of a triangulation of sources. There's Profitero, there's Edge by Essential, there's Stackline, um, there's InfoStout and a number of other resources out there that have tried to help triangulate some of the pieces. And again, it's one of those where if you can kind of get 60 to 80% directional data, you kind of have to play that and lean into it because waiting for it to be the perfect share, as you know, um, we'll be too late, you know, and we'll, we'll have to rename this late mover um, and, and be at the end. So, um, but it's a great question. And honestly, one Oscar and I have faced on the brand side and that, um, that everyone is still facing and um, engaging with a lot of clients today. Now, we talked about digital as driving, right? But as digital is driving, we know the store is evolving to meet the needs of this digital capability, right? And so actually... Two pieces of news that were separate, but kind of combined. It was interesting. Uh, Walmart and McDonald's actually had a historic like, 30-year partnership, and you've probably seen McDonald's before in specific Walmart super centers. Um, at one point, there were over 1,000 uh, McDonald's in all the different super centers, but they've kind of slowly been paring back over the years. Um, there were actually, I, th- I think, about 500 um, at, at the beginning of 2020, Um, but McDonald's has slowly been closing these down as their priorities have shifted to uh, drive-through capability with with the pandemic um, and seeing store traffic in store dropping so much, but also delivery, right? Enablement through their app and their partnerships. So McDonald's as a name brand food service provider has been kind of paring down, but Walmart has been ramping up testing ghost kitchens um, with Salad Works and some others um, in Canada and the U.S. to obviously not only be able to offer their own merchandise for sale, but also you know knowing that the share of stomach is, is broader than just a grocery channel and a food service channel. We've got food food service players getting into grocery and grocery trying to get into food service, and so um, and arguably the delivery partners on both sides doing the same. And so there's this massive blurring in the middle. And so it's really interesting to see Walmart obviously leveraging the space it has to be able to support a growing demand for not just grocery products, but prepared food and meals. And so I'm really interested to see the store evolve that way. Oscar, what about Dick's Sporting Goods?
1: Yeah, so uh, for sure, you know, everybody is looking at the experiential side of retail, what that would look like, right? And this story about, um, dicks remind me about you know the store in atlanta called pgi superstore uh, so it's a little bit of a you know you go there you actually can spend time research the product play with the products so i'm not surprised i'm actually glad to see it so it's a question you know which direction the retail evolution is going to go right uh, for sure you know you can make maybe uh, see a mix of retail plus gyms you know retail plus a little bit of experience um So, is the question is like where to draw a line because a lot of those stores will actually have a massive expense into changing the footprint. Um, so for example, Dick's build out probably was, you know, I don't know, 10, 50, 100 million dollars. So is it scalable across um, all of the different retail stores if it's dramatically different versus the current space? So I'd be curious to see how that's going to go. Is but, you know, as a consumer, love it. You know, I would love to come in and be entertained. The question is, you know, is it feasible financially in the long term?
0: Well, and, and you know, I see a lot of similarities here with, with Dick's and then that Best Buy program. While well, Best Buy is just the program enabling some value in all their different pricing and services. This has that same kind of feel and air as they look to, like, expand the service side. And obviously this isn't a program. It's, a, it's an actual store concept, um, how it expands – Obviously, it won't reach everyone, obviously, because there isn't a Dix on every corner. But there, this is that that physical uh, imprint of what these value, these kind of loyalty programs and engagement programs feel like. And this is that physical uh, kind of incarnation of it. So it's, it's really interesting to see. And again, what's exciting, though, is just to see retailers testing all these different things, because Dix has been testing a lot of different concepts in store to kind of see what, you know, which one gets it right so that they can likely expand. right one it kind of plays back to good to great you know by jim collins shooting bullets before cannonballs right because once you get the right one then you can expand
1: it but chris but would you not agree if you go right now to best buy you would actually see a lot of empty shelves right because it's very hard for retailer to also do only different pickup orders and ensure that there's enough of product at the store so I think, you know, Best Buy is a little bit of a walking back from that experiential side, and they just trying to push the product through. So that's why it'll be interesting to see what would happen with, with Dix and sporting goods. Like, is that going to really work if you drum up the interest? You have really uh, big online ordering and uh, online pickup, you know, kind of a system. And, you know, you have to build a warehouse, like a dark warehouse, to be able to keep those um, shelves uh, full.
0: No, exactly. And I think that's why grocery is really expanding into the micro fulfillment side, um, which kind of gets us to this actually, um, because that way they can kind of preserve the in-store consumer facing as well as have that back end that doesn't, neither one has to necessarily mess with each other. So we've had a lot of new news in the uh, kind of the fulfillment side of things, um, many of which were a long time coming. So Kroger, Kroger, um, it's soft launched, but more officially launched now. It's first of the 20 plus uh, robotic central fulfillment centers or CFCs. This is the first one in uh, Ohio um, in partnership with Ocado, which is one of the leading grocery uh, retailer, uh, online grocery retailers in the UK and kind of has this almost Apple operating system like technology for grocery, you know, robotic automated grocery delivery each one of these CFCs has the capacity of 20 stores of Kroger. So, um, so what's kind of exciting about this, in addition to it really supporting its current omni-channel ambition is that this could arguably supply after it supplies its store network could help make Kroger truly a national retailer because it could allow it to be where the stores may not be right. And be able to deliver, um, you know, beyond its traditional store footprint. So that's, that's, a bit, that's big. That's been coming for three years, but it's now officially launching as that was its, you know, 2021 was its target. Um, Amazon has been buying up for several years 28-plus um, shopping malls that have been converted into fulfillment spaces, um, and they bought three more in the last few months um, to convert. And, and there, there's a really cool video, actually, on YouTube kind of describing why, the, the four different reasons for why this makes sense. But, I mean, obviously... The, the space, the proximity to shoppers, the infrastructure, um, the the proximity to highways and and, and transportation byways um, is really important. But this is, you know, as shopping malls decline, Amazon comes into fill as that's where the dollars ultimately kind of have gone. And so um, really interesting to see. And, 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 you know, to your point, Oscar, about upcycling, so to speak, Amazon kind of upcycling real estate right into um, as opposed to li- leaving it you know, dark and empty, right? So, um, and then the last one that's really interesting is it kind of goes to this micro-fulfillment element about the store evolution. So picking which bucket this fell into was an interesting one. Walmart is beginning to roll out what will be dozens and in the future, many, many more micro-fulfillment centers in the U.S. and Canada. They've got one actually close to me outside of Boston in Salem, uh, New New Hampshire. Um, What's really interesting though is the quantification of how much space this takes up, right? So these can be about twenty thousand square feet. That's twelve percent of the average super center, Okay, so that's not all of it, but like twelve percent of a supercenter is a lot of space to suddenly disappear and shift to online fulfillment, right? So great, great for them for doing that. What happened to all the what? What happened to the center store space that got squished a little bit, right? When we talk about that shelf shrinking, as more and more uses up. Different, you know, spacing within the store, and then they also have the space for social distancing. Increasingly, certain categories are just going to get, you know, reduced because there just won't need to be as much on display for center store categories that you can buy online or subscribe to, or you know, whatnot. So it's just really interesting to see all of these different re- leading retailers playing slightly different strategies for how they go to market here. Oscar, what about? Some
1: other last mile innovation. Yeah, so, you know, two innovations, one from Walmart, one from Target. So Walmart is investing into General Motors cruise subsidiary, um, you know, to, to be able to be basically look into self-driving cars and delivery cars, uh, which I actually I'm a big fan of because, you know, I believe in order for home delivery to win, it has to be convenient. Right. But I think versus just trying to use independent contractors, it would be much more efficient to actually have those self-delivery vehicles. And then uh, Target is is testing a new sortation center uh, process in Minneapolis, uh, which shipped. Uh, so the orders will be packed at the store and then, you know, sorted and routed, uh, which, you know, is supposed to be much quicker, right? But my question here is, you know, number one is, we are still not uh, solving the issue of packaging. You know, we already have massive cartons, you know, in our garage. Uh, so we got to figure out what is the better way of actually get the, getting this product delivered to people, right? Are we looking at crates, reusable crates, which, you know, some some of the people and one of the founders of jet.com is is looking at, um, you know, how are we going to actually scale that up, you know, uh, you know, if we do this every day. So that, that I'm actually a little bit more interested in, you know, to kind of un- understand better the innovation with the self-driving cars, but also, you know, how to address the issue of, both, you know, safe and health, you know, issue just because of, you know, we might not have the COVID, you know, there might be another COVID or what would be the issue with reusing some of the packaging and getting people actually trained, which frankly, it's not that different versus like, you know, in big cities in the United States where they were used to giving away milk in those crates that they would leave the crate and then you would leave the crate the next day after you would just pick up your milk. So maybe we just got to get trained a little bit um, uh, to our old habits.
0: No, that's a great point. Now, within the, the voice and smart tech on the first one, you know, Amazon has really dominated to date this smart speaker market. Uh, and obviously, they use their prime day and now maybe there are two prime days to, to catapult um, and, and drive household penetration of all their different technology. Um, but obviously, Google and Apple and Facebook and others aren't, you know, are, are, are behind, but not behind in the sense that they're constantly innovating Um, but just a small piece of news you know apple is reportedly exploring kind of home pod models with display and camera capabilities to obviously be able to compete with google amazon's echo and facebook's portal so it'll be interesting to see again the, the challenge is obviously going to be the the tie and or collaboration with the retail side of things even though that's still a small part you know voice commerce is still small today having that direct connection as it becomes a greater part of our everyday shopping behavior will be important. Um, But obviously, having the capability to do that is first. So that's kind of an interesting one. But then, Oscar, you found the second one, which I hadn't even thought of the implications of But I thought this was really interesting.
1: Yeah, there is a a massive global chip uh, shortage, right? It's not only in Taiwan, it's also in China. So what we are seeing here is that they probably the innovation might slow down a little bit. Um, already there is some talks about Apple maybe pushing back some of the product innovation this year. It could be iPhones, could be iPads. It might be a little bit scarce. So supply chain is basically hit by pandemic, but I think it's also is hit by the change of innovation, right? We just uh, inundated with a lot of new devices, a lot of new technology um, is being developed co- very quickly. So we'll see how this is going to play out, but... I would not expect any major innovation this year uh, just because of all, some of those issues. And not to mention, we just had a massive container ship being stuck in Suez Canal, which probably slowed down everything by a month or two.
0: I stocked up on toilet paper again for that very reason, but then they, they, it got unstuck. So now I have another two years of toilet paper. So sorry, everyone, if you're, if, if you're without. Um, someone Someone very astute shared some cool stat here. Uh, store 100... Um, at Walmart in Bentonville is adding on a forty-five thousand square foot um, micro fulfillment center. So, arguably, that would be a, almost a twenty-five percent of the uh, um, of of a traditional super center. So, again, obviously, not every every super center necessarily needs the same capability, depending on where they're located to how much they're serving. But just um, thank you for that step. That's a great that's a great build. Um, and this was a this I've, I've seen a lot more articles coming out about this, but basically, Albertsons. Um, has partnered with Google on a number of arguably back-end capabilities uh, using AI and some of the payment and map capabilities to try to integrate Albertsons and Safeway banners into a, a more everyday shopping and navigating experience. So they're trying to create the ultimate shopper experience across all touch points. And so it's cool to see Albertsons do this because, I mean, Albertsons has been a driver of Early capabilities and fulfillment-owned delivery capabilities and whatnot, but obviously everybody's been ramping up and they've needed that. Uh, they needed this to stay at pace. So this partnership with Google, um, which is still early in its in its days, but they're they're going to be rolling out. So we'll, we'll share new news as it's coming. They really have this ambition to create the future of grocery shopping. So there are a couple little vignette videos on the PR releases about how how one might go through it, even going ultimately going through ordering through Google without even necessarily being on a Safeway or Albertson's app. So really just trying to remove the friction and create a better experience overall. Um, commercial ecosystem. So we really like to put retail media in here um, because it is it, it, it plays into lots of different strategies. But as we think of the competition rising, it's not just... Retailers competing in the media space, but it's also, it's retail media is made available. Brands are competing using those tactics to win. Um, Retail media is actually growing almost 30% year over year, which is faster than digital ad spend as well. And everybody wants a piece of the pie. Um, Amazon has now breached 10% of digital ad spending. Um, But what's interesting is Google, Facebook, and Amazon who make up about 64% of all digital ad spending in the US make up less than 10% of the unique visitors and traffic. So there's clearly a huge amount of fair share to go around. And and that's why we see a lot of new retail media networks uh, emerging almost, it seems like every month, but for good reason, because everybody has a shopper base to tap into and real estate to use to market. And so even Dollar Tree and Family Dollar Uh, just launched their own uh, retail media network as one of the newest entrants in the space called Chesapeake Media Group. Um, And it's actually powered by two different partners, uh, Swiftly and uh, Key Technologies for both on-site and off-site targeting. So really exciting to see, uh, you know, family dollar and and kind of the dollar class of trade coming in and online, as you will, with fulfillment capabilities and partnerships uh, primarily, but also with these retail media capabilities.
1: And and that's why perpetua got sold for 162 million dollars.
0: Exactly. <laughs> uh, all the news ties together. Um, Oscar, what about um, on, on some other sides? And it is actually the, the the one on the right plays back to your whole point about uh, reusing.
1: Yeah, no, no, for sure. So Amazon Care will like, be expanded to about uh, 600,000 U.S. employees. Will offer healthcare services to other companies within Washington. I'm a I'm a huge believer into Amazon getting into healthcare. I think you know with their efficiency, uh, this could be a very interesting play and could actually help the market to kind of g- generate the next uh, level of engagement. But I, I let's face it, you know through the pandemic with telemedicine, already a lot of progress has been made, which I think is a great progress. But the second one, you know the Nike refurbished program um, to take some of the pre-owned sneakers you know, inspect rated the, uh, the quality and and being able to sell them a reduced prices. I think it makes absolutely make sense, right? We got to get away from throwing everything out. We got to make sure is that things can be resold, upcycle. Uh, we, we have to build this up because, you know, it's like how many of the, uh, for example, you know, um, dumpsters we can actually be filling with the products. You know, we have a huge issues with returns, uh, we still get dealing with that, you know, within the industry. So I absolutely salute for Nike to actually building this program, and I actually think, you know, as many companies they can do it. That would be great, you know, just to kind of join in and and help to move the product through its cycle.
0: One hundred percent. We've got when when I say emerging platforms, I I, I use platform very liberally because anybody can be a platform, but I like to think of it's this emerging challengers, right? And so um, and some of them are so small anymore as they grow quite big. But um, GoPuff, uh, Oscar and I got early early uh, induction into the GoPuff world um, when we were at Kellogg's. But GoPuff has continued to grow. GoPuff is essentially, and I don't want to understate them, but like the Domino's pizza of CPG. So, I mean, they can get you product in less than 30 minutes and all the, uh, the, the metro areas that they've already expanded to. Um, they recently raised over a billion dollars in new funding, which has doubled their valuation to almost 9 billion in less than half a year. And, and they just launched their, their biggest ad campaign ever. So they're pumping um, some of that back into driving demand and making people aware of the value that they bring. Obviously all the great products that you love, but at a more convenient and faster pace than you could have ever gotten them before. And they really started that whole model targeting college campuses um, and, and, and kind of arguably, I I really thought they, they started really interestingly by going after some metro areas that weren't really the target of like Amazon prime now and some other competitors and going after an audience that wasn't really tapped into. So, um, but then ultimately being able to scale to a larger, a larger potential audience um, nationwide as they expand. So um, it's exciting to see GoPuff growing and and fueling their own growth. Um, And then also um, we've seen as DoorDash continues to try to get into C-Store convenience store formats and and drive kind of the grocery proposition. They've actually, they're integrating and partnering together uh, with Farmstead um, so that, so that kind of the, the Farmstead uh, you know, consumer audience can tap into DoorDash delivery capabilities. So um, lots of new innovation on all levels of scale coming you know on market as, as these new pl- platforms emerge. And then kind of, this actually goes back to Oscar, what you shared just to, uh, bring this full circle is you know amazon has reportedly been looking at a way to sell through a discount shop or store within a store all the unsold merchandise not just the returns which they do through like the amazon warehouse deals but like unsold merchandise just sitting in that, that no one will take back or that's not efficient to send back and they put that on hold from from reports um because of covid priorities Um, But this could be an area because this is like millions and millions and millions of dollars of merchandise that just gets trashed going back into landfills. To your point, Oscar, that obviously a large retailer like Amazon could take ownership of and obviously profit from as well um, by, by selling versus just individual manufacturers. So just really interesting to see that coming into play as well. Oscar, what about TikTok?
1: Yeah, I mean, TikTok is all the craze, right? You know, TikTok made me buy it. Uh, we hear this a lot. And, you know, their ad business is growing like crazy, 500% in the last year. Um, you know, and it's going to be big question is like, hey, how TikTok can actually monetize this even better? You know, how the better integration with e-commerce can can work. We see a lot of Alibaba, you know, what Alibaba is doing in China, that they have the very good social media slash e-commerce integration, Uh, so i'm just looking at this to be much more seamless um you know kind of going forward but for sure tiktok is becoming a viable commercial channel and and actually probably sooner or later going to supersede you know what youtube is doing with all of the different youtubers which you know that experience was never actually fully integrated with e-commerce which for me as a massive you know kind of a youtuber uh you know as a youtube watcher let's face it uh you know it was always a miss, right? How you can actually integrate better YouTube. So I would love to see TikTok actually going an extra mile and create very seamless integration with e commerce, um, maybe even partnership with Amazon or Walmart, Walmart.
0: There's such untapped social commerce growth potential sitting here. And I think TikTok might just unearth it here. So,
1: um,
0: private brands. Uh, this is one of my favorite topics. Um, just wrapping up quickly. Uh, Amazon um, continues to launch and test and learn with private label, but it shouldn't surprise us as they push into grocery. They've launched a new private label food brand called A um, with uh, across snacks um, and a number of edible categories, but their plans to launch th- you know, hundreds of SKUs in the short term. Obviously, as they ramp up specific brands, they start applying that across the board. So I think we're going to see a lot more in food on top of the brands they already have there. Um, Harry's, which has been is not a private brand, but obviously has been a, an exclusive partner to many, starting with you know Target and beyond. Actually, it's partnered with Costco as it expands at its at the next level of growth um, at, with a exclusive razor and thirteen blade bundle. So it's kind of cool to see even Club tapping into some of these digitally native brands. Um, and, and and as we talked about, Target continues to bring on new exclusive digitally native brands, including the Grove collaborative which is clean personal care and household brands into their store and, and again as they the, the thing is this isn't new but the reality is every four foot in cap or every six foot shelf set that they take is that much less space devoted to the national brand so good on them and good on these brands for earning it but you know watch out for all of us right you know in the national brand space what are we gonna do to be to to, to protect our space or or innovate and, and drive exclusives as well so that we stay on the shelf with our retailers. So, um, it's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's just it, the, the, so what is what are we going to do next? What are we going to do to be worthy of staying alongside all these digitally native brands? What about DTC? Ostra, is our last wrap up here.
1: Yeah, no, of course. I mean, DTC is a very hot topic. Um, you know, two things here, Nike and Adidas, they continuously to push for DTC, Um, You know, their direct sales are up 20% and 59%, um, you know, digitally. And then Adidas is 14% and digital up is by 43%. So we see a massive growth. I mean, those two brands clearly have figured out how to make DTC work. I would not be surprised if, you know, DTC is going to be basically almost 100% of their business because people are just so used to. And then if you have a very good social media integration, even better, right, with TikTok. Uh, you know, even with YouTube or, you know, any Twitch, et cetera, any live streaming. And then in other news, uh, Smart Commons uh, ra- raised about $13 million and passed $1 billion, um, you know, adding up to, add to cards. So what um, Smart Commerce does is it basically helps to stop the leakage uh, between any ads and any display ads and shopping cart, right? Because right now, as we saw, if you actually point the pe- people to the category pages, there is a massive leakage just because of a lot of brands might advertise on your keyword. And the same thing is happening on your product detail pages. So I think smart commerce will actually s- continuously to see the growth. And, you know, it's an interesting technology, um, you know, to be able to, you know, take pe- take the item and put it directly in people's cards. So. We salute them and I think because of the leakage, you know, on the organic search and the, the rise of the paid search um, campaigns, you know, on the retailer side, they just will continue to grow.
0: So we, we realize we've gone a little over. We had a lot of news this month and we're always curating down, but um we thank you to everyone who shared commentary and questions. We kind of didn't know whether there'd be a lot more questions or or some of the thoughtful comments you've made thus far. And we really appreciate it. And we want more of that. We will literally answer them or bring them up um, if if appropriate, if PG, um, because I've got kids, um, you know, on, on, on the air. So we love your, your expertise is just as valuable as ours as hosts. So um, we hope this was a valuable framework of the story. Again, it's not all new to a lot of you, but we have, we're not all storytellers because of our day jobs and sometimes we have to be. And so, having some sound bites to help you frame the story, frame the imperative, frame the risk. In some cases, or the so what now what becomes really, really important. And we hope this was helpful. We welcome your feedback, uh, constructive and or positive, because um, we're going to keep iterating on this to make this a valuable uh, resource for you each month. And we're always here to answer questions or get you the the answers to questions if you want to email us or or connect with uh, connect with us uh, uh, on LinkedIn. So. Um, thank you for being a part, um, either live or on demand, of our first Cyber Monday monthly e newscast. And there's so much more to come. Our next Cyber Monday is May 17th. If you've signed up, you're, you're already you already have access to uh, Cyber Mondays. You don't have to sign up again. Um, but if you know somebody who'd value this, uh, you know, send send them the link. Um, we also have a lot of our other events coming up. Our winning with Kroger um, on uh, May uh, May 4th through the 6th, all virtual right now. Um, as well as our IQBR metrics that matter event, we've got a Home Depot one in June, as well as our Bev Out event that we just added in June. D to C being a topic of discussion in July. Um, our, our winning online grocery across platforms in August. Supply chain in August, September, and many, many more. As you saw from that eye chart at the beginning, so um, we would love to have you uh, rejoin us for Cyber Monday and other events as they're relevant to you. And again, we created this community for you because you are the community and we love being a part of it with you. Um, You've always been a first mover. Let's make it official. Keep coming back, join our community um, and be empowered by our events and the learning that we can all share together. Thank you so much for being with us. Oscar, any parting words?
1: Thank you and give us some feedback. Thank you.
0: Have a great one. We'll see you next month.